Why should you or I care about the church? Because it's part of who we are. If you are a Christian, the community of Christians must matter to you. This gets really tricky when sometimes that very community has been the greatest source of hurt and pain and sorrow. See, sometimes throughout history, we as the body of Christ, the people of God, have become so consumed with you don't belong here, or we need to be separate, that we've forgotten who we are, and more importantly, whose we are. We've forgotten that if we've been baptized with the Spirit of God, we have been joined to Christ. Jesus, Son of God, given his life for you and for me. We are not just metaphorically in some weird way like, oh yeah, I know he's there for us, joined with him. We actually make up his body here on the earth. To what end? To go about doing the things he's still doing on his behalf. To go about being the hands and the feet, bringing hope to those who are hurting and comfort to those who are mourning. Bringing healing to those who are sick and peace to those who are afraid. And you and I as his body matter. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. For those of you on live stream, uh, sorry about that little glitch at the start. I'm glad you can join us now. For those of you in person, you don't know what happened. It doesn't matter. When I was 17, I had an opportunity unlike any other. I received a scholarship that after graduating high school, I could go back to high school again like a nerd. But I went back to high school in Germany. So at 17, I moved on my own to Germany. Anybody ever lived overseas? If you ever live or travel overseas for an extended period of time, what you'll discover is not everybody in the world thinks like us or acts like us or believes like we do. As an exchange student, I was living with a host family, and this host family was Christian, but they only went to church really on Christmas and Easter. And so it was kind of strange having been somebody who really liked being a part of the life of the church to now not really have a church. And so I tried on my own at 17 to find a church. And there was a church nearby that had a youth group, and I thought this would be a good way to meet some new people and stay connected to Jesus. This sounds wonderful. And I went to the youth group, and we proceeded to drink the whole time. Because in Germany, you can do that if you're over the age of 16. 
And we never once opened up the Bible or talked about Jesus. We just drank and hung out. And I went back a few more times. And then I realized, you know, I can drink and hang out with people without going to church. So why go to church? And I came back from Germany after almost a whole year without being a part of a community of faith, except for Christmas and Easter. And I came back and I went to college and I got a job working as an intern with youth, a youth group here in the U.S. We did not drink because we can't do that here. But I quickly realized in many cases the youth was a lot of fun, but we didn't really connect with Jesus. And the adults I worked with, we did a lot of stuff and it was really busy, but we weren't really connecting with Jesus. And I quickly realized that the organization of the church in the U.S. is often really, really broken. Have you ever looked at a church or a series of churches and just wondered, what is the point? Why are they even here? And over the course of some time, God showed me his love for his church, and he led me to be a pastor. And I said, okay, and I moved to St. Louis. If you've never been to St. Louis, let me tell you something about it. It's a lot like the South. There are churches on every corner. The difference is the churches on every corner are 100 years old and empty, and some of them have been turned into really cool apartment complexes, but most of them are just empty. And so it was weird being in a city with almost a dozen seminaries surrounded by really old, empty buildings, wondering what happened to all the people of those churches. And then I moved to the south, and on every corner, you have one of two things. Either fast food joints on every corner, or churches on every corner. That's pretty much it. Like, pay attention when you drive today, how many churches you pass between here and when you get home. And if you cheat like me and you take the interstate, you're still passing a bunch, you just don't even notice. In Knox County, I think there's over 700 churches. There are 500,000 people in this county. And despite 700 individual churches in this county, there are over 300,000 people who by their own admission have nothing to do with the church except for maybe Christmas and Easter. And so we could fill Neyland Stadium three times with the people disconnected from the community of faith in our own city. And yet we have over 700 churches. What's the point? Why are they here? And perhaps more importantly, why should you care? Why does it matter that the church exists? I often hear people say that I can be a Christian without being a part of a church. And you're absolutely right, mostly. But we'll get to that here in a moment. Before we do, let me share a confession. I'm a little bit of a nerd. If you don't know that about me, I hope you still like me. I like learning really weird things. So recently I've been learning about the history of education, not because I'm a teacher in the formal sense like education or not because I have really any need to know, I've just been curious. And among the history of education, I've been learning about mathematics and the history of math. Anybody ever been so excited to just like read the history of math? 
Okay, a couple of you. Thank you. I'm glad I'm not the only nerd. I appreciate it. Well, I, I discovered recently that there's a textbook that for over 2,000 years was the math textbook of all people in the West. I was like, well, that's fascinating. Euclid's Elements. If you've never heard of it, don't worry about it. But it is over 2,000-year-old textbook that they use to teach the fundamental basics of math. And I have lately been so enthralled. Isn't that fascinating, math? That's right. <laughs> Here's why I share all of that. One of the things I've found in reading this random math textbook from 2,000 years ago, not in its original Greek, but translated into English because I'm not that big of a nerd yet, um, one of the things I've discovered about this math textbook was there was a driving principle for many throughout most of history that helped them discover the things you and I now take advantage of. And this driving principle amongst Christians and non-Christians, but really everybody in the West, was this idea that in the one there is many, and in the many there is one. And if that confuses you, let me back it up a little bit. Picture a circle. A circle is one object. Unless you look at it a little differently and you begin to look at all the points on the edge of the circle that make up the circle. And now you find that one object is actually a whole bunch of things put together to make one. And scientists and discoverers throughout history, like Newton and Galileo and Einstein and a whole host of these brilliant people, part of what drove their brilliance was recognizing that the more you focus on the many, the more you get to see the one. And the flip side is true as well. The more you focus on the one, the more you begin to discover there's many within. And that sense of curiosity and wonder drove them to explore and discover and push further and further than they had before. Now, here's another way you could consider this. You and I have bodies. I have one body. I don't have two. That would be strange. I have one body. But my one body is made up of many parts, and these many parts all play a very different vital role. Like imagine my skin. If I didn't have skin, it'd be really gross for me to stand up here and talk to you. In fact, if I didn't have skin, I wouldn't be standing up here talking to you. Now we can lose some of our skin. In fact, we do all the time. I was working on my new house yesterday and I hit my leg with some lath and some nails and I've got you know, scratches here and there. I lost some skin, but I survived. But if I lose too much of it, that becomes a real problem. And yet even my skin isn't just one, it's made up of different layers and different cells and I can really dive deep into the one part of my body and discover a whole host of more parts of my body I never even knew. Did you know that about your body? The one in the many allows us to discover that there's so much more than we've ever seen when we just look at the one by itself or the many separate from the one. This same analogy of a body is used in scripture by Paul when he tries to describe what it means to be a part of the church. The people of God, you and I, what does it look like to belong to this community? He uses the analogy of a body and that's where we're gonna look today. 
Now for Paul, he was not wrestling with a question many of us wrestle with. Like we live in a world where those 700 churches are not all the same. Did you know that? In fact, some churches hold to certain denominations that look really different than other churches of other denominations. And some churches that we now know today claim to have no denomination. And let me just give you a spoiler real quick. If you ever come across a church that claims no denomination, just assume they're Baptist without a name. Because most of the time, and that's not a bad thing, this is not bashing on them, just a reality, most of the time, what they believe aligns with the Baptist belief, even if they take away the name. But I'll get to why that also matters here in a little bit. Paul is not wrestling with different denominations. He's wrestling with different people within the same body that aren't all alike. Like, take a look at the person that you came with today. And if you didn't come with anybody, take a look at the person to your left or to your right or in front of you or behind you. Are we all the same? I sure hope not. Because two of me would be a problem. I promise. We are not the same. And not only are we not the same, some of us are really good at things others of us are terrible at. And so Paul, what he's writing to is this question of why do we have different gifts? How come we don't all act or look or operate the same? What's the point of that? And this is how he discusses it. He talks about the body. If you would like to follow along, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For the sake of my son who tells me I always say that and then rush ahead, let me say it again so you can look it up if you want. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. There's the many and the one, the one and the many, right? Just as we all are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now we have to pause there before continuing. You see, in Paul's day and age, they've made a lot to do about your ethnicity and where you came from. Where you came from really determined who you belonged with and where you fit. And so if you came from a Jewish family, you would never be a part of a non-Jewish family. That just doesn't happen. If you were a slave, which is not like we often think in America where it's people forcefully being in this position and being abused. No, for them, slavery was often a means of paying your debt or your imprisonment, right? This is how you returned what you had taken. And so if you were a slave, you were considered a lower class citizen than somebody who is free. And this was really important because slaves and free, they held different statuses which gave them different privileges, which gave them a different amount of social authority. Paul says, with this body, we were all baptized into one body, Jews, or Greeks, slaves, or free, and all were made to drink of the same spirit. He begins his explanation of the body by saying, there is no distinction where you came from, 
There is no distinction the things you think are honorable or not. There's no distinction about your place of service right now. If you are low on the social status or high, no, we are all one body. For the body does not consist of one member but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would this be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I I like the argument Paul's setting out. Like if the foot says, well, I'm not a hand, therefore I'm not a body, I'm separate. No, it's still a part of the body, even if it wanted to believe otherwise. Now, we know feet can't believe anything, right? That, that happens in your brain. It's different. But still, think about that. How many of you would like to have a body that is made up of like 35 eyes but no ears or nose? That would be really difficult, especially when you need glasses. Where are you going to hang the glasses? I don't know. Paul says, look, the body needs all of these parts, and without these parts, it's missing something. In fact, if the ear said, I want to be able to smell, so now I I choose to be a nose instead, does that make the ear begin to smell or just no longer operate the way it's supposed to? He continues, he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable except for the appendix, I don't really know what that's for. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I like the way Paul describes this. First, he gives a series of examples. If a part of the body chooses to not be a part of the body, it still is a part of the body, no matter what as he's talking about people but using a body to describe it, if you or I believe we're not worthy to be a part of the body, and so we remove ourselves from the body of Christ, the community of his people, we still are a part of the body, but we're lacking. Like imagine if today you were given a choice, you have to lose one body part. What part would you choose to lose? Maybe a finger, maybe an ear, possibly an eye. I would love to lose my gut. What part would you choose to lose? 
Now, can you be a person if you're missing your left arm? Yeah. Or your right leg? Or your spleen? Sure. Is it good for you to be missing those things? Generally, life is better when you have them. And that's not to demean anybody who doesn't for any reason, but like we were created to work a certain way And while I don't understand the appendix, as long as it's healthy, I don't want them taking it out. Only when it becomes unhealthy should it be removed. First, Paul says, look, there are some who want to identify themselves as not a part of the body, but that's silly. And then he says, there are others who may say to another part, you're not good enough or worthy enough or important enough. Paul says, that's also ridiculous. You see, in the church, the people of God, there are those who may appear, and I stress appear, to be less worthy. There are those who may appear to be more broken, more hurting, or trapped. But you are a part of the body, and you are indispensable. You matter, whether you believe it or other people believe it. Paul, he's writing about this body of Christ. And he says, look, if one member suffers, the whole body suffers. If one member rejoices, or if one is honored, all rejoice together. Why should you or I care about the church? Because it's part of who we are. If you are a Christian, the community of Christians must matter to you. This gets really tricky when sometimes that very community has been the greatest source of hurt and pain and sorrow See, sometimes throughout history, we as the body of Christ, the people of God, have become so consumed with you don't belong here, or we need to be separate, that we've forgotten who we are, and more importantly, whose we are. We've forgotten that if we've been baptized with the Spirit of God, we have been joined to Christ. Jesus, Son of God, given his life for you and for me. We are not just metaphorically in some weird way like, oh yeah, I know he's there for us, joined with him. We actually make up his body here on the earth. To what end? To go about doing the things he's still doing on his behalf to go about being the hands and the feet, bringing hope to those who are hurting and comfort to those who are mourning, bringing healing to those who are sick and peace to those who are afraid. And you and I as his body matter. Paul, he continues, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, 
and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. See, in Paul's context, where he's writing about gifts in the body, there was division saying some gifts are better and some are worse. Paul says, look, all of them matter, and you're not all the same. In fact, what comes next, the very next chapter is one many of you have probably heard or even said at your wedding. Love is patient. Love is kind. Right? All these things about what love is, Paul says the greatest gift in the church is love. So where do you fit in this body of Christ? Well, I have to say something that may be really wild and you've never heard of it. I don't know if you know this, but our Baptist brothers in town and our non-denominational, mostly Baptist brothers in town and our Calvinist brothers and Methodist brothers and Presbyterian brothers, all these people from all these different denominations, do you know that they are just as much a part of the body of Christ as you and I are. Did you know that? And so we, when we drive past churches that may or may not be mostly empty or may or may not have hurt us at one point, when we drive past these churches, we need to be reminded that their health and their growth is just as important to you and me as what happens here at the point. Did you know that? And likewise, it's important to recognize why have we chosen to be where we are. Some of you may not know this. We, as the point, are a Lutheran church, specifically a Lutheran church, Missouri Senate, which means we have chosen in this place to partner with and walk together other like-minded Lutherans around the country and even the world to say, Let's work together to serve Christ. Now, some people will say, well, that means everybody else is out. They don't matter. No, that's not true. We're all parts of the body. And some people hear the idea of a denomination. They get really, really torn up. They're like, ooh, that's not who I am. I got to go elsewhere. I really don't like that. That offends me. Let's just all be together one group. Anybody in here belong to a family? or at least you have a family of origin. How many of your families have the last name Walt? No? Are you even a family if you don't have my last name? Most certainly. But if you come to a Walt family gathering, what you're gonna discover is our family is different than some. Sarcasm's our first language. Uh, sometimes we say really mean things which we probably shouldn't and we're saying them in love but you can be really offended if you're not used to that. We really like to eat a lot. And not only do we like to eat a lot, we like to play board games and laugh, and we have customs and traditions in our family that may be very different than your family. Do you know what? That's okay. When you hear somebody talk about being Baptist or being Lutheran or being something else, it's like a last name. This helps identify what will you find in this place. What things do they emphasize in their community? 
See, for Lutherans, a little bit of history, and then we'll finish. About 500 years ago, there was a guy who, like me, walked down the street and saw the church was really, really broken. He said, what's the point of all of this? Because at the time, the church was spending ridiculous amounts of money doing really dumb things and then telling people, if you want to gain favor with God, give us more money. And was creating a division saying, the wealthy are loved by God and the poor are not. And if you just work harder, you'll get to being loved by God. And this man named Martin Luther, who was a priest, he looked at this and said, this church is not what Jesus is all about. And he looked at scripture and he attempted to change the church to become like scripture, which is where we get the term reformation, right? Reform the church. And as he attempted to do that, obviously, people don't like change. And so it created some division. And over the years, that has multiplied. Now we have 30,000 plus different denominations in the U.S. Did you know that? It's kind of ridiculous because we all really are the same. But what is it you will find in a Lutheran setting that we emphasize? What are the, the gifts and the things we focus on that are why we gather? Well, for one, his primary thing that we agree this is most important is all of this is about the cross. You're right, you nailed it. Specifically, a God who gives us grace abundantly. And so in Lutheran context, you're going to hear not how much you need to work better to fix your mess or how much God loves you after you repent. No, you're going to hear over and over and over again about the cross, the gift of grace that we don't deserve. And when you come and you're guilty and you're feeling condemned and ashamed, you're going to be given this gift of grace over and over and over again. That's our primary goal. In fact, here in a little bit, we're going to receive communion. One of the things that makes us unique as a church, not unique from all churches, just from some, is we believe in this meal, God is actually giving you his grace. Not as something you've earned, but as a gift to receive. That's really good for you and me. And so coming back to this question, what's the point? What's the point of being a Christian and being connected to the church? The point is you and I need the life that comes from abundant grace poured out over and over and over again. If you lost your finger today, would that finger still be alive? For a little while. But if that finger doesn't get reconnected to its source of life, that finger is eventually going to die. Likewise, if you needed a heart transplant and somebody took your heart out, would that heart be alive for a much shorter period of time? And if you don't get a new one, you won't be alive either. See, the church is that same way for us. A people who can continuously remind us of this grace of God and be this life to support us in our weakness and comfort us in our hurt and care for our every need. And sometimes we get it totally wrong because we're all a bunch of individual broken sinners 
trying our best to love one another. But we still need each other more now than ever before. And so it is my hope and my prayer for you that when you drive past all of these churches today on your way home, you would be encouraged to pray for them. God, would you bless that Methodist church or that Baptist church or that Lutheran church? God, would you bless the people there that they can walk with you and know your goodness? It is my hope for you today that if the church, the people of God, has been a source of pain in the past, that you would look around you and see people who will not be perfect, but who will do everything we can to try to love you and give you grace over and over and over again. It's my hope today that for you and for me, we can see this church, this body of Christ, as something really wonderful, where we all individually get to be a part of something so much more than you and I could be on our own. One body, his body, forevermore. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that you have given us the church, the people of God, And however we identify with our denominations, however we emphasize the uniqueness in our group, God, however we center our attention on you, I pray that we would all be life-giving, that we would see the unity of the whole church. It's not about the point or the church next door or the church across the street. It's not about what I like or what I want. It's about you and being your hands and your feet to the world around us. God, may you strengthen us and encourage us and fill us with hope that we can walk in your grace and live together in great community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Right before this section about the body, in chapter 11, Paul writes something else about a body. He's describing this gift of communion, and he describes that when they were gathering together to receive communion, which used to be like a full feast, now it's much smaller. I would love it if it was a full feast someday, but we'd be here for hours, and you probably don't want that. It used to be a full meal, and for those who were poor, it was perhaps the one time when they would get a full meal on a regular basis. And when they were gathering together, they were gathering with divisions, and some were going hungry, and others were just lavishly eating. And Paul, he warns them. He says, don't you know that what you're doing is not just celebrating a meal? You're actually receiving the very body and blood of Jesus. Don't you know that when you gather together with divisions among you, with hatred or animosity or without care for the other, don't you know that you are sinning against God himself? And so he writes this in chapter 11. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul says, look, if you're coming to this meal 
and you don't recognize that you are not just coming as an individual to receive, but collectively joined to every one of us around here. If you're coming to this meal and there's division or hatred or unforgiveness in your life, you're actually eating this to your judgment. Like it's bad to come unprepared. So how do we examine ourselves to eat and drink worthily? Well, there's a couple of questions we can ask. First, are you baptized? See, this meal is intended for the people of God, and we believe that it's through baptism you are joined to Christ. So if you're not baptized, this meal's not for you. Don't do it. If you are baptized, do you believe that you are sinful? See, because if you're here and you're baptized and think that you're perfect, you don't need God to give you grace. This meal's not for you. If you are sinful, do you recognize that you cannot, by any of your own work, make it right? But only by his blood and his body being broken and poured out on the cross for you, only by what he gives, you can be forgiven. If you believe that, this meal may be for you. Then there's this question, and this gets really tough. Is there anybody that you haven't made peace with? Anybody that you have divisions in your heart against? Hatred or anger or unforgiveness? This meal may not be for you if you're not ready to forgive them. And so, one of the things the church does, and I won't make you do this, but oftentimes, in many cases, you'll see right before this meal, the church will do that awkward passing of the peace. Have you ever been at a church that does that? where you're like shaking hands with all the strangers around you, you're like, peace of God be with you, peace of God be with you. And you just kind of stumble over and it's more like Reese's Pieces than actual peace, anybody? The reason that often happens before communion is so that we have an opportunity to reflect. Did I get in a fight with my wife today? Have I made it right? Did I say something hurtful to the person behind me earlier this week? Have I made it right? What about my brother or my sister, my mother or my father? Is there anybody I have wronged? And so we prepare for this meal by confessing those things and by asking God here in his very body and blood to forgive us. And he has promised that he will. So we're going to pray and then I'm going to invite you to come and receive and come and receive that forgiveness you need to forgive those who've hurt you. Will you pray with me? God, we confess to you that we are broken and sinful. You tell us to discern the body as we eat and drink. And sometimes, God, we want divisions. We want a reason to exclude others from our lives, from our community, from the things that you're doing. Sometimes we want reasons to justify why others are worse off than we are or we are better than they. So God, this morning we confess all of the things that we hold on to, the divisions in our heart, the things we can't forgive, the hurt and the anger we won't let go of. Would you unite us today with our brothers? with our sisters, with one another. 
Would you help us to know that together, though individuals, the many are one, one body in Christ. God, we ask that you would help us to believe your forgiveness, that this is freely for us. May we live with that grace each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. See, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, after giving thanks, he took bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. In the same way, he took the cup. After giving thanks, he blessed it and gave it to them and said, take and drink, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this often in remembrance of me. And based on his words and his promise, we come and we believe that by some mysterious manner, this is more than just bread and just wine. It's also his body and his blood. And as we eat and as we drink, we receive his forgiveness and are united together as one body forevermore. I'm going to commune the band and the assistants, and I invite all who are ready to come and receive his grace freely given for you. Church, as those forgiven and freed by his very body and blood, may this, the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen and preserve you in faith till life everlasting. May you be filled with his peace. Amen. As we continue our worship, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. If you came prepared to give today and you would like to give with cash or check, the popcorn buckets are in the back corner. I'm going to ask, Adam, would you mind helping out with those? I think I forgot. And Michelle, where are you? would you mind helping with the other one? Thank you. Those will be in the back. If you fill out one of those connection cards or the prayer request, and there's some way we can be praying with you and for you, you can place that or your offering in the buckets. If you came prepared today to give online and you would like to do so, you can do so at thepointknocks.com by clicking the little button in the bottom corner and selecting I'd like to give. Whatever you give and however you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. I am really excited for this upcoming Friday, the first Friday in May. If you didn't know we have art studios, we have art studios here, and it's really cool. Uh, the artists are really neat. So uh, now this is the part of the service where you guys have asked questions, and I get to do my best to respond. Uh, how many of you know Amanda? Anybody not know Amanda? A couple of you don't know Amanda, but some of you do. This is Amanda. Uh, maybe you've seen her up here singing from time to time for the last several months. I mentioned a while back that we were uh, looking for a new worship coordinator because Emily was stepping into the communication side of her job a little bit more. And so after a long search, I'd like to share with you that Amanda is now going to be serving in that staff role part-time. So I'm excited that she's here uh, more and the things we've already discussed, what's coming, I'm excited for. And if you're like, oh no, does that mean Emily's disappearing? No, she'll still be around and she'll still sing and lead from time to time as well. So don't worry, she's still here. But now, what questions came in today that I can try to botch, I mean, respond to? Yeah, absolutely. So the first one says, shout out to the Point Band today. Their harmony was on point. Hey, well done. And I did not text that in myself. So 
Woo. Um, all right, so first question. If you would load, thank you. I haven't yet figured out how to give her her own access. This is my phone, and my phone is struggling right now. Oh, you, you went to the name. Where? How did you get here? What is happening? Good thing I'm singing and not working communications and technology right now. There it is. All right, I found it. All right. Adam saved today. Okay. So apps are weird. For, first question: How do we reach people who have had bad experiences with the church, but still believe in God? but are having a hard time separating their experiences from God and Christianity? I think that's a great question. How do we reach people who are having a hard time separating Christianity from, or as we know it, from their faith in God? I think the best way to reach them is to love them where they're at, um, to model for them the love that can come from, a, from another Christian, and when possible, to invite them to experience things that are safe and healing. Um, within the organized church, like an art studio, right? Come and see the art studios and maybe it'll start a conversation about why does your church do this? Or why do you guys meet here? How do I know it'll be safe to be broken there, right? So start by loving them a lot, uh, even with their hurt and their pains, and then maybe invite them to find safe healing uh, experiences that can begin to change the narrative for them. Yeah, so good. Second question, when God and Jesus tells us to forgive others, is it parcel we must let those that have offended us that they are forgiven? Sorry, this is not... Do we I'm need to let them this. know that they're forgiven? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, that we must let those that have offended us that they are forgiven, or is it enough that are in our hearts that we have forgiven them? So yes. Generally, it's a bad idea if somebody doesn't know they need to be forgiven to tell them that you've forgiven them. It's usually going to cause further division. So if, if they don't know that they've hurt you, it could be worth going, not starting with the forgiveness, but saying, it really hurt me when this happened and talking through it. Maybe they'll seek forgiveness and then you can give it to them. Maybe they won't. Maybe they don't want to change and they don't think they've done anything wrong. In which case, it's more important for you to forgive them and not let them know than for them to know just how much you've forgiven them, okay? Because not forgiving somebody, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping somebody else gets sick. That, that's how it works. And so when you forgive them, it's as much about your own healing as theirs. Now, I will say, this is one of my small pet peeves that I harp on with my kids a lot. If somebody asks for forgiveness, do not say, it's okay, don't worry about it. Because if it was okay, they wouldn't need to be forgiven. Instead, you get to be Jesus' mouthpiece to them. If they're hurting or they've done something wrong and they're feeling guilty, you get to look them in the eyes and say, I forgive you, I love you. And it changes relationships, I promise. So if somebody asks for forgiveness, give it to them. If they don't know they need it, maybe go and share your hurt and see if they will ask. And if they refuse to ask, give it to them anyway, just between you and God, all right? Awesome. And there was a little heads up. All proceeds from Likewise Coffee today are going to Austin East High School. Yeah, I was going to share that. So Likewise, where we get our coffee here, they're located just down the street, and they're doing a special fundraiser um, just to bless the Austin East community. So if you did not get enough coffee or you need some fancier coffee, head on down the street and grab some on your way home, and uh, that'll help bless Austin East. 
All right, last question. Are Catholics a part of the body as well? Also, are Jews a part of the body of God's chosen people, as God's chosen people? Those are two separate questions, they so sure I'll approach are. them differently. Are Catholics? Yes. Um, do we agree with everything Catholics believe and hold to be true? No. We have a different understanding of grace than some of them. But our DNA of the creeds and of Jesus and the things he said, that's the thing we hold in common. So yes, Catholics are part of the body. Um, are Jews, well, that depends. Some Jewish people believe in Jesus as the Messiah, in which case, yes, they are a part of the body of Christ. Jews who are still looking for the Messiah to come, who don't recognize Jesus for who he is and was and always will be, they are not a part of the body. So some Jews are and some are not. And ultimately, I don't know who is and is not outside of are you in Christ and are you baptized? Let's hold to that. So that is it. Sort of. Sort of. So one person said, I don't have a phone, but can I write a question? Oh, yeah. You can, as long as you catch me early enough before the service. So if you show up late, you're out of luck, all right? Um, he shares some of his hurt and his struggle and his pain that is not just based on um, his own mistakes. And he says, why would God want to waste his time with me? So let me ask, or let me tell you this. You're not a waste of time to God. He loves you dearly. He created you. And life has been hard. And for that, I'm sorry. Um, but he's faithful and he's good. And I promise if he's willing to give his own son for you, you're not a waste of time. And if you want to talk more, like come talk to me after the service or come find me. We can meet during the week. Um, I'll gladly hear more of your story and your hurt and remind you through Scripture just how much you're loved. All right? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.